Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. We are in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 11, and we should conclude Romans chapter 11 with the very next episode. I want to break it into two because there's several things the Lord has given me, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to stretch it into this episode and one more, and then we should conclude Romans chapter 11 and move into Romans chapter 12. If you recall, this is the section, Romans chapters 9 through 11, where Paul is dealing with the church and Israel, and he's specifically really His heart is burdened for his own people, the Jews, and he's trying to flow through this whole book and show how it applies to both Jew and Gentile, and he focuses on the blindness that's come to the Jewish people, why that is. He used chapter 9 to establish their past record, track record of disobedience and unbelief, He spoke in chapter 10 and into chapter 11 about their present spiritual status in that they have rejected the Messiah that God sent, that was the promised Messiah of old, but that it is not a permanent rejection and there is hope. He talks a lot in chapter 11, and we've studied this, about the remnant of the Jewish people, and from that remnant, God began the church. And we're going to look a little bit at that today as well. And he talks about the hope that all Israel will be saved, come to repentance, come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that they can do that. And now we're in the section where he's talking about this olive tree. He's been talking about the branches that were cut off were those that had no fruit because they rejected the Messiah. They refused him. And so he's talking about the branches that stayed in. Those were the holy seed, the remnant, the elect, he calls them in one place. And then he talks about the wild olive branches that have been grafted in with the Jews, with the remnant believing Jews, and among them into the original olive tree. And the root of that tree is the Lord Jesus, is the foundation of God's word and his promises fulfilled in Messiah. And so we've come through a lot of that. We've talked about how Paul does not want us to be ignorant. He does not want the Jewish people to be misunderstanding of the blindness, why it had to come, but that there is hope and that each individual can come to faith in Jesus Christ and Paul's hope and belief, according to the scriptures, is that all Israel will come to believe in Jesus in a coming time. And he mentions that here and quotes from some of the Old Testament here about that. And we've looked at some of that. He talks about the Gentile believers that have been grafted in, that they do not have any kind of conceited attitude because they've been grafted in. It's it's God's mercy that has done this for all, because it was originally God's design and God's desire that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's seed, the Messiah. And Jesus, when he came on the scene, 
he talked about anyone who will come to him will in no way be cast aside. And so the church is comprised of the believing Jews and Gentiles. So let's dig into that a little bit. We talked in the last episode or two a little bit about this fig tree imagery. Jesus uses it, how he cursed the fig tree. And we want to see, I've mentioned to you about the fig tree representing Israel. And it does, according to two of the prophets. I want us to actually look at those today. The first one that I want you to see is, is in Joel chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, God is talking about a nation that's coming to judge his people. And he says this, He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. Speaking of Israel, speaking of the nation as a whole, the Jewish people. So Joel calls Israel his fig tree. Well, just in case you're not sure that that's who Joel is talking about, let's look at Hosea. And in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, read these words from the Lord that he is speaking. God is speaking here and he says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers, Israel's fathers, meaning the patriarchs, the, the founders of the nation of Israel, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. And then he goes on and talks about how they went to Baal Peor and, and went into idolatry. So right here, between Joel and Hosea, both prophets define for us the fig tree is Israel. And Hosea makes it very clear. Hosea says that the patriarchs were the first fruits on his fig tree. So we know that that's the imagery and the understanding that Jesus is using here. So when he cursed the fig tree, he cursed it because it was representative of the nation as a whole of the Jewish people that chose to reject him. Remember, we saw in some of these examples, he had come seeking fruit on the fig tree. He had come because he was their promised Messiah and they should have, they should have recognized that and they should have received him as Messiah. But John tells us in John chapter 1 that he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. But all who will receive him, the individuals, individual Jews, individual Gentiles, he, we now have the right to become the sons of God, the children of God, and we do through faith in Jesus Christ. And we've already established that even in this book and in our study. So this was symbolic and a result of their own choices in rejecting the Messiah. There was no fruit when he had come. 
And so they would no longer be God's fruit-bearing instrument to the world. Make sure we understand that. They had been originally designed by God to be his fruit-bearing instrument to bring to the world the Word of God, the Messiah, and the good news that in the Messiah, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Take it all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when the covenant was originally made with Abraham, the covenant being cut with Abraham in Genesis 15, but the promise of the covenant being given to Abraham even in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you will read where it says that in Abraham's seed, meaning the Messiah, and we see the proof of that because God confirmed that covenant through Isaac and Jacob and all the way through the prophets down to the Gospels when Jesus came on the scene. And Matthew makes it very clear in the genealogy of Jesus, as does Luke in Luke's genealogy. Jesus is a Jew. He was a son of Abraham. He was the promised covenant seed, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3, through which salvation would come for the entire world. And the Jewish people were designed by God to be that fruit-bearing instrument to take that message to the world. When he came on the scene and they rejected him and rejected him and rejected him for the whole three and a half years, and he died on the cross and they still rejected him, they put themselves in a state of partial blindness until, and we've talked about that, how it's until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But this curse came upon them because of their own choices and unfruitfulness. They became no longer his fruit-bearing instrument as a nation. However, we must understand this, and I want to stop here and let's read this section in Romans again as I move forward into the remaining points for today's message. And I want to begin the reading in verse 25 and go through verse 29 today. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So I wanna stop there for today. And we will conclude this chapter, as I mentioned, in the next episode. But for today, I want to stop and, and help us understand a little bit more about all of what Paul is saying here. So we've seen how that fig tree had to be cursed as a nation, as a whole, because it was no longer to be the instrument 
that God would use to bring his Messiah to the world because of their own rejection of the Messiah that God sent to the world. However, we need to understand this. God never broke covenant, nor did he ever stop loving the Jewish people. God has not cast them off. God is the eternal and ultimate promise keeper. He keeps covenant. He has not ultimately cast off the Jewish people. He never stopped loving them. He still loves them today, just like he loves every person. He never broke covenant because he's a covenant-keeping God. He made a promise to Abraham, and he will see it through all the way. He never set them aside permanently. You know, in olden days, I don't, you know, even today, I'm sure it's somewhat this way, but you have an office setting and you have phone calls coming in and the receptionist perhaps, you know, she'll take a call and she'll be talking to someone and then another call comes in. And so she'll maybe put the first call on hold, pick up the second call and deal with that, and then, when that's done, go back to the first caller. And it's similar to that. It's as if he's kind of put the Jewish people as a nation now, as a whole, on hold. And he has been working for the last 2,000 years plus through primarily the church. And we're going to talk about that in a moment and why that is so. And over the last couple of thousand years, the church has been his primary fruit-bearing instrument to the world to bring the Messiah to the world, to bring salvation to everyone who will believe. And that is what God has done. But when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and the what we call the church age ends, then God will go back to the nation of Israel and will continue to speak and deal with them to bring them as a whole to salvation. And that is the wonderful hope for the Jewish people. So he has not permanently set them aside. He has not permanently cut them off. And remember, he has and always will have a remnant. He has kept and included a remnant. I want us to look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus is speaking to them here, and there's a few things I want you to take note of here. First of all, the question that he posed to his disciples, I'm going to pose it to you right now because every single person will stand before the Lord with this answer to this question. It's very important. Who do you say that Jesus, the Son of Man, is? Do you believe he is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, come in the flesh? Do you see, beloved, that's the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith in him. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, come in the flesh so that his blood and his blood alone could be shed to pay the sin debt of every single person and his blood is enough. It is faith in him and the finished work that he did on the cross and his resurrection proves it because God raised him from the dead, accepting his payment for sin for all of us in our place so that we don't have to, we don't have to suffer that death penalty. We don't have to die and be eternally separated from God in hell for the wages of our sin because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So do you believe that? That's what Peter was saying. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so on the rock of that revelation, now let me make this clear. Peter is not the revelation. Peter is not the, the one who had to start the church. Now, Peter was one of the great beginners and founders of the church. Yes, he was. But it was not built on him. It was built on Jesus Christ and on the rock of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And the Lord said, on this rock, on the rock of this revelation, because I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, come and on this revelation, I will build my church and it will stand. Praise be to God. So the church is that instrument now that will reach the world with the gospel and has for the last 2,000 years. And the church is what Paul's been talking about here that is composed of the original branches that believed in Jesus and are still attached and vibrant in the tree and the wild olive branches, the Gentiles who believed in Jesus and have now been grafted in. That is Paul's imagery here in Romans chapter 11 of the church. And it is composed of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, all who will believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation. Praise be to God. And we're all grafted in 
to this one olive tree that is healthy and based on the rock of revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock. Now I want to speak lastly on verse 29 of Romans 11, just for a moment, because in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, Paul says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Now there is application to all of the church, to Christians as well, to believing Gentiles as well in that. But I want you to see this. In the context of what Paul is talking about here, he is really referring to the fact that the Jewish nation's gifts and callings are irrevocable. Why? Because of covenant. It's because of covenant. God will keep covenant forever. We've already seen that. We looked where God said, if the heavens and the earth pass away, if the sun stops shining and all the moon and stars disappear, then and only then, when all of that's over, will I break covenant with my people. Do you see it's an eternal covenant? And it's because of covenant that the calling and giftings for the Jewish nation are irrevocable. They are enduring. They are not regretted. The Jewish nation, the Jewish people are still God's chosen people. God keeps covenant forever. I want to draw to a close by reading to you 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 12. Because I want you to see another place where this word for irrevocable is used. It's used in this passage, translated differently. But I want you to see it. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. There it is. That's the word. But the sorrow of this world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. In other words, Paul is saying here in Second Corinthians I had to write you, and it was harsh in some points. And I had to be direct. And I had to tell you like it is. And I had to make you fearful in some ways. But it was for the purpose of bringing you to true, sincere repentance through godly sorrow that would lead you there. So he says, for that reason, because of the good fruit, I don't regret what I had to do. 
It's that kind of word. God has chosen the Jewish people, and he's not regretted from doing that. In spite of their choices, they are still his people. This is a beautiful picture of love, hope, and covenant here. God still keeps covenant and has no regrets. He is still enduring on behalf of his people because of his covenant's sake. And the hope that Paul is expressing in Romans chapter 11 is that all Israel will be saved. He started out and he's been talking about his prayer for Israel is that they will be saved. I believe that's in chapter 10, if I'm not mistaken. And we've read it and we've talked about it in this section of Romans. Paul wants his people to be saved. God wants all people, both Jew and Gentile, to be saved. That is the hope for all Israel that is on the heart of Paul in these chapters. And we're going to see one more very powerful point that Paul really focuses in on as we conclude chapter 11 in the next episode. God bless you today. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, may the Lord richly bless you with his word. Amen.